Hi, Andy. How are you doing? Hi, Michael. Uh, very well, thank you. Very well. Um, welcome to the Haleybury Rugby podcast, our review of the weekend Six Nations fixtures. As ever, we have our resident expert um, who's been there, done it himself, uh, including captaining Wales to the Grand Slam glory in 2005, Michael Owen. So, Michael, uh, what a pulse-pumping opening uh, weekend of Six Nations. Can round two live up to the action fest of round one? I think so. I think um, last week weekend was fantastic. It was a great start to the championship, uh, really exciting games. Um, and I think that um, looking at the games this week, um, you'd expect probably England to win um, comfortably against Italy um, because they've been having a tough time. But then the other two games could go either way. And it's exactly what you want um, in the championship. And it, some great players on show. And it just should make for a, another really exciting uh, weekend of rugby. It is mouth-watering stuff. Um, so we, we'll stick with the, the trusted format, um, analysing each game uh, for the weekend ahead. Uh, let's start. Let, let's get into the to the nitty-gritty a little bit of the England-Italy game. So Italy last won a game, astonishingly, in 2015. And, uh, well, on the back of a drubbing in week one, the administrators haven't really done them any favours with, uh, with England away game two. No, and it's obviously an England team that are going to be smart enough to the, uh, um, the well, certainly the manner of their defeat against Scotland would surprise him. Um, so, yeah, you're expecting them to really come out firing and, um, and, and make things difficult for Italy. But, um, yeah, they are, they are on uh, an incredibly tough run. And it's obviously very difficult when you've got that lack of confidence um, and lack of belief that you can win. Um, so it is a pretty tough time for Italy, but but hopefully they can they can ride it out and come through and come out the other side. And um, it, it is it's a really difficult landscape for them to try and navigate at the minute. And, and come come Monday morning, what, what do you think Italy rugby need to produce this weekend to uh, sort of as a sort of success criteria in educational violence? Yeah, I think that. Um, like the problem with the French game, like it's not a fact that they lose. Like you can lose sometimes by fifty points to ten, um, and you could think, oh, we were a bit unlucky there. They scored a few tries at the end, or, um, or and you, you put up a fight. But I think the worrying thing for Italy was that they, they were sort of just overawed a little bit, um, and they were just like a few of the French tries. There was like kicks going in behind, and there was no one to be seen um, from Italy. So I think that would certainly have been a bit of a worrying sign. So I think you just want to see a bit more fight. Um, from the Italian team and a bit more like comp- competitiveness to, to make, it, make it really difficult for England to, to get a victory that they are obviously desperate for. It's a, it's a tricky task for them for sure. And, and looking at it from the England perspective then, do England, do they have to do more than just win? Um, I think it's really difficult for England at the minute. They just sort of, um, it seems like they're caught in between a little bit. Like they're not sure... Of, of where they go in and, and what they're trying to do, it appears from the outside. And Eddie Jones is obviously he's a very like meticulous rugby coach, um, so I'm sure he's got a, a, a plan. Um, but it is quite difficult to see because England obviously they were they won the Autumn Nations Cup, but were like pretty defensive in their approach. So I just think you just want to see a bit more of that sort of pace and and power in the game. And um, yeah, I think that they just they, they definitely they just need to win. But I think you would be hoping to see a little bit of a spark in terms of their attack and, and hopefully, I guess, like George Ford, that's why he's brought in to, to get England flowing a little bit more. I was going to say, is Farrell moving to 12 a little bit of a, an indicator of 
where the attack was going wrong? Well, I don't know because last week, obviously, against Scotland, England were beaten all over the field. It wasn't like I don't think you could pinpoint um, a particular area. England just got beaten. Like obviously, the score wasn't it wasn't a bad defeat in the scoreboard, but England were like they didn't really have a spell in the game where you felt like they were on top or they were going to win. So I think that was that was particularly worrying for England. So I'm not sure that that you could level that at Owen Farrell particularly because England were obviously starved of possession a little and they just had a, a, a really tough day. Um, but George Ford definitely does bring um, a different set of uh, problems at 10 for the opposition. Um, and him and Farrell obviously work really well together and having that extra bit of leadership on the field, um, I'm sure will be helpful for the team. Um, but, but yeah, England have got great players. They've just got to like find a way of performing. I think for me, like when you look at the selection, seeing someone like a Jack Willis not being picked, I think that seems a bit strange. Um, and then, yeah, I guess like it's that question all the time, isn't it, about the form players um, not getting selected. Um, so yeah, that would be my my query on the on the England team because um, yeah, that Jack Willis has been has been absolutely immense and obviously so good at the breakdown. It's hard to see why you would pick Courtney Laws a flanker over over Jack Willis, but I guess that's that's what England are going with for the lineout prowess. I suspect the Exeter fans with the Simmons brothers are thinking similar things. But although there's a, there's a whole front row change, so does that does that make Jamie George a scapegoat, or am I looking through that through through Haleybury tinted spectacles attached there? Yeah, I don't think Jamie would be a scapegoat. I think Luke Cullen Dickey just gives up. Probably does. He has he has got a very different game to to Jamie, and they've got quite they complement each other quite well. I think. Um, so I think that I think it's just they're just making a change. Obviously, it's a it's a shortest turnaround you have in the Six Nations just about. So you've got to get like two games in two weeks. Um, so I think it's probably just a case of just trying to shuffle the, the cards a little bit. Obviously, the other two props, I think it is, I am right in saying it's Marco Bonapolo and Carl Sinclair back, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, so that's massive because you've got two people there who are like flankers. They make a ton of tackles. They're good with the ball and they make an impact. So that can have a transformative effect on your on your forward pack. I think two, having two players like that to come back into the team. If, though, to play devil's advocate, Michael, I mean, Vuna Polo this week's been saying, you know, they're all, the Saris boys in particular, are, are refreshed and not undercooked. But doesn't that seem slightly odd timing, given the evidence of last week? I know it's his first game back, but, but I wonder, too, whether whether that, does that reveal a little bit the, the kind of blinkered arrogance that some of the Celtic nations often accuse the English of? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. I think, that, I think that it's definitely a case that I think it's, it's that balance, isn't it, all the time? I think it could definitely be an element of the Saracens players feeling refreshed. They've just been able to train. Um, I think they, they would have been, like, any little niggles they got, they'd probably been able to like, sort them out and, and, and heal up. So they'd be feeling pretty good. And they're probably as fit as they've ever been. Um, but there is that balance then between, like, having played um, a number of matches and being um, sharp and ready to go. But then on the other side of it, you saw, I think, like, Alan Wynne jones um, and Ken Owens playing for Wales. They're probably two of the outstanding players. Josh Navidi as well. They hadn't played a lot of rugby and they managed to produce the goods. I think the thing for England was that they were it was five players, like and the it was the the spine of the team were all like sort of hadn't played as well. So I don't think that would have helped. It would have made it a bit more challenging for those players. But it's definitely probably somewhere in the middle between um being refreshed but needing a bit more game time. Yeah. And and Jones has got a a bit of a reputation for being ruthless with selection. I, I mean, might that be a short-lived international career for the poor chap Lawrence? 
I hope not, because I think from what people have said, he's been doing really well in the Premiership and he's been sort of a real sort of making a difference for Worcester. Um, <laughs> but if you have to feel a bit sorry for him, because I think as much he could have done last weekend, really, he didn't get a ball. Um, and he didn't have a great deal of, of tackling to do either. So, um, yeah, I think if you if you think he's he's got the quality, then hopefully they'll be able to bring him back. But I think sometimes it is, like England have got such an abundance of good players, I think sometimes it is difficult to sort of give those players a run in the team because you've got such um, such choice. And then say someone who was a Welsh player, maybe as an example, who wasn't maybe he's not quite as good, but then they get to play 10, 15, 20 internationals and make that sort of improvement. Um, and I definitely think sometimes that happens with England and they actually the, the amount of depth they've got can sometimes um, cause them problems um, because they've got such so many quality players. Still no Harry Randall though. Does that uh, does that undermine your your fantasy team? Yeah, <laughs> I love, to be honest. Last week when I picked that fantasy team, I was just trying to. I just wanted to get it done because I thought it was one of the members of staff got it started. So I just wanted to get it done. So I was picking a few uh, random. So I hadn't been. I didn't realize how competitive people were going to be checking all the <laughs> um, selections and things. Yeah, but uh, obviously Harry Randall's not a great pick when he's not uh, not involved in the match day. Uh, squad, but I've got a lot of faith in him, so I'm going to stick by him. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, let's hope Eddie Jones didn't follow your theory behind selection. Yeah. Um, okay, so then let's move on to. Uh, I'm going to put down an England win in your predictor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and move on to Scotland Wales, and uh, an amazing game coming up. It, it almost feels like a bit of a championship decider, albeit the second game. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think for both teams, I think if you obviously if they win that game, it's slightly stating the obvious, but whoever wins that game is going to be feeling really positive about the, the obviously the rest of the tournament and really excited. And it just that's when that momentum builds and that feeling. You sort of you've got a nice mix of of not worrying because you know you've done okay anyway and then and feeling like you can you can kick on and achieve something special so I think both teams will be feeling that um, but they're two evenly matched sides as well um, and I think I think they could have a, a really like, really exciting game and hopefully it's close and hopefully you see a few good tries and things obviously Wales have been a little bit um, disrupted by injuries um, but but I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm expecting a really really good game and um, and hopefully it's, for me obviously I'm hoping the Wales win um, but just hoping that it's a it's a great match and another like advert for rugby I think is really important um, at the minute to try and get those sort of spectacles on and um, the Six Nations at its best is nothing better than than that for, for boosting the the popularity of rugby. It's certainly bubbling up that way, isn't it? With star players on form. Yeah. I mean, do you do you feel both sides have? A little bit of a question to answer over whether they can back up their performance of, of week one. Um, I mean, we know they we know both sides are capable of, of, of a sort of standalone great performance, but but can they can they produce it on a consistent basis? Yeah. Perhaps from a Scottish point of view. I think the Scottish point of view definitely. I think they've they've sort of they've had some really like significant wins and performances over the last. Um, number of years, really, probably two to three years, four years, um, and they've, they've yeah. put in some real stand-up performances. Um, but then the performance last week was it did go up a notch. It was that was a a clinical top quality performance where they they out they didn't just nearly win a game or just about win a game against the top nation. They they dominated the game against England at Twickenham, which is obviously very, very significant. So they'll be desperate to back it up, I think. So I think there would have been a lot of talk of that in the Scottish camp this week. And they've got good foundations as well. I think like Johnny Gray is obviously 
vitally important. He runs the line out really well, gives Scotland a steady stream of possession and, and disrupts the opposition ball. And that's been one of Wales' problems as well. So that's definitely an area. If Wales don't get that right, I think they're really going to struggle in the in the match because Scotland are, are strong there. Um, and they did in the autumn as well. I think Scotland drove Wales over from about 15, 20 metres for a driving try, which is pretty unheard of in international rugby. Um, so I think it's going to be, uh, that's where Wales, the game is going to be won or lost for Wales. But definitely that consistency for Scotland, I think particularly, um, because they haven't got a, a great record of recent success, whereas Wales have. Um, I think that's that, that it's really important for Scotland to probably continue to produce on, on that, that sort of standard that they showed against England. And from from a mental preparation point of view, Michael, uh, do Wales have to, to combat slightly the sense of potential relief that they'll have in their camp after bagging that win in week one against arguably a bigger challenge of, of Scotland away and an on-form Scotland away? Yeah, I would say yes, but I think the team that Wales picked for the last game, I'm not sure of the stats for this game, but it was the most experienced team Wales have ever, have ever selected for an international. So obviously that mitigates against that sort of wavering... Um, mentality you'd think because they know they know how tough it is to go up to Scotland and win um, an international rugby match so I think Wales will have a they've got a really interesting like mix of players um, and I think I think Wales will I think Wales will perform in this game and it's just it's gonna it's going to come down to those those big moments again and um, yeah just making sure like when you get those chances as we saw with Ireland last week with that Billy Burns kick to the corner, you've got to really make sure you, you take those chances and you and you make them count. So I think that's just going to come down to that. And I think the line-out will probably be the key area, um, and certainly in terms of the Welsh performance. So we'll be looking closely at that. Yeah, interesting stuff. And, and I guess, I mean, they will have lost, but both sides uh, will have lost, lost players and the depths of squad gets tested already in week two. The, the Welsh lose... Uh, North, Lydia, Navidi, a, a double Williams blow, Johnny and Thomas, although Liam Williams comes comes in for them. Um, and Scotland with you know, star performance from week one, Redpath and Maitland. And, and a key guy I always think is, is Richie, who again is not there for Scotland. Uh, how, is, how is the depth of, of both those teams? Yeah, I think when you look at the players that have come in, there's good, there's good players. And certainly from a Welsh perspective, you're thinking there's still a, a good strong-looking Welsh team with a nice blend of experience. So um, I think that you'd expect them to perform. But obviously, it does. you do lose. You definitely lose a little bit when you lose like frontline players or form players. It definitely um, it definitely knocks it and knocks that continuity, particularly Wales, like a, a new centre pairing. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be quite challenging because obviously the couple of weeks beforehand that they would have put in to practice, obviously it's not quite the same when you don't think you're playing. Um, so there will be challenges, challenges there all round, and like I say, it's just about who rises up to it and who really sort of like controls the pace of the game and controls the way the game goes. Um, but I, I'm really looking forward to this game. I think it'll be a, a really, really exciting match. And, and thinking slightly longer term, I mean, would you have envisaged perhaps at this stage that that even is touted as a third of the Lions' fifteen might come from Scotland? I've got uh, I've got noted Pog. Russell, uh, Van der Merwe, Watson, and Gray, uh, all as potential starters for the for the Lions fifteen. With Redpath maybe on the bench. yeah, is, is that an expected? Yeah, story? no, absolutely. Well, I think in terms of you look at like the likes of Johnny Gray, Finn Russell, um, Hamish Watson, and Stuart Hogg, they've been 
performing consistently at the high at the at the high level for quite a while. So I think like they are right in the mix for their positions. Um, and then it obviously just depends on form for like a lion selection. But those four certainly don't surprise me. And then because they like I say they've been at the top level. And I think you're looking at that, and that's the thing Scotland have got. They've got a group of players who are sort of maturing. Um, but it's still like maybe not quite at the peak or just about reaching the peak. So I think Ali Price is going there as well as a scrum half, who's a pretty quality performer. Um, so you've got some really like they've got some really good players there for the first time, not first time in a long time, but like where you start to look at them and think, wow, they've got some some real top internationals um, in their ranks. So they're definitely a, a, a more formidable proposition than they've been for a while in this championship. Uh, let, let's just finally on this game, let's take you back uh, into the, the memory banks a bit. And Grand Slam 2005, uh, Wales are, are on course after game one. What what was your message as captain in the dressing room uh, before? This was, it was game four for us, Andy, this Scotland game was. It was, a, it was like the back end of the championship. So right. it was after we, so it was my first game as captain. Um, was away at Murrayfield, yeah. And we, 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 we played... Really well, actually. We played sort of just very confident, uh, very fast-paced, and we blew Scotland away. I think we had the game one at halftime. Um, I think it was, I think it was a game with it was the highest ball in play at that at that point in international rugby. At that at that point, I think. Um, but we, yeah, Ryan Jones scored a cracking try early on, um, and then yeah, in Scotland, I think they had a coach called Matt Williams, and I think we were like riding high, and Scotland were at a bit of a uh, of. Um, a low morale wise, um, and then yeah, we just managed to, to to blow them away, and it just obviously set us up then for the final week, um, weeks preparate week, the Grand Slam decided against Ireland, so it was um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty special memories for me, um, but yeah, they were it was just it was a Murrayfield is a tough place to go, but on that day we managed to to make it um, a fairly comfortable victory. Amazing. Can you remember your your party words? <laughs> I have got no recollection whatsoever of them, to be honest. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's funny. I think I think it just yeah, it's just like um, I don't know, like you're riding a wave. I think you just feel, and it's just when you have that mix. I think it's probably the perfect thing in sport, isn't it? When you have that mix of mix of confidence and arrogance as well. You sort of like you're confident that you can win. You know what you're doing. You, you back your ability, and you just go out there and just sort of perform. Um, and I think that if you didn't have like long, long periods of it in my career, but you have like certain moments where you have where you have feel that collective, where people just sort of um, have got yeah, it's just like I guess it's like you call it being in the zone, don't they? But where like as a collective, you just sort of you can take on any challenge, and you're not daunted by anything. You know, you know people are going to perform. Um, and it's a really, really amazing feeling. And I think that, that's sort of what happened with us with um, in that Six Nations. We beat, we had like, we played England first and won a really tight game, um, and then beat Italy away. And then we had a real acid test going out to France, who were pretty formidable at the time. Um, and we managed to, to turn them over. And then all of a sudden, then you're just feeling like you're on top of the world, um, and, and nothing's going to touch you as a team or as an individual. So yeah, it's just. You just got it, and that's why I guess these teams are fighting for now. And the team that wins this game is going to be feeling like really confident and really buoyant for the next round of matches, um, and then they can go on and win the championship. I mean, that is absolutely right. It's going to be a cracking game. Uh, great stuff. Well, let's let's move on to uh, Ireland, France. I guess uh, it would be fair enough to say every neutral will want an Ireland win for, for the sake of the championship. Um, 
will, will Ireland be smarting? You know, they had the chances last week. Um, and does this game feel like a, a bit of a... Yeah, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because I think everyone's like focusing on France and how, how impressive they've been over the last sort of last 12 months. Um, but Ireland have got a lot of quality players and I think they would have been they would have been disappointed to lose last week uh, to Wales and obviously would have felt the sending off was pretty um, key to that defeat. Um, but I think, yeah, Ireland have got lots of quality players and they'll just be looking to put in a really... Um, Fast and ferocious performance, I think, against against what is a very, very good French side. Uh, and the French, who who have no trophy in a decade um, and looking impressive, how how are the Irish going to handle yeah. Dupont? He seems on a completely yeah, I other think, level. I think Dupont is one of the best players I've ever seen in my lifetime. I think he's absolutely incredible. He's just he's got it all. Like he can his support players brilliant. He can he can attack by running, by kicking, by passing. Um, he's got it all, and he just got and he's just got that magic ability to just to make things happen as well. Um, so yeah, so I don't I don't know. I think Aaron Smith said in the week he thinks he's the best. He he thinks Dupont is the best player in the world as well. Um, but yeah, he's he's a pretty extraordinary extraordinary player, and um, yeah, it's just it's great to get to see people like that. But I definitely think Ireland will be trying to to close him down. Um, make sure they don't give him too much space. Uh, but but yeah, I think Ireland. It, I, this again is going to be it's going to be a fantastic match, and that that, that contest up front is going to be huge um, for both teams. I mean, talking of the contest up front, I, I noticed Olivon was already talking of uh, of a grand slam. I mean, is the slight Achilles heel for France a, a danger of overconfidence, or was that naive? No, I think yeah, there is a danger of that because I think like you sort of Ireland are battle hardened. Ireland's game last week was really really tough, um, and France had a bit of a, a walk in the park. Um, in truth, beating Italy, um, and that can again, it's like uh, the debate. I guess we were chatting about the English players, Saracens boys being. Like being fresh but not being sort of game ready, um, and I think it's that same thing. And sometimes France have got a relatively inexperienced team um, in terms of international rugby, and I think you can sometimes get caught up in your own press and your own hype um, and start to believe that you are like a great team. You just got to turn up and you win, and you win the championship. And obviously, Ireland are not are not going to give France anything on the on the weekend. So that that mentality side of it will definitely be important, but. Having someone like Sean Edwards, I'm not sure how much he can uh, uh, communicate all of this. Um, I guess it's all in his body language and uh, the, the bits of French that um, he speaks. But yeah, he's the type of person who keeps people on the edge. That's certainly what he did with Wales. And if he does that with France, um, or he's part of a coaching team that does that, France are going to be pretty formidable. I mean, I think it, it isn't Ibanez, the, the interpreter. Yeah, I think I, it was an article about, um, by Ronan Nagara. Um, and he's working, yeah, he works for Racing, not Racing, um, La Rochelle. Yeah, La Rochelle. he works for La Rochelle. Yeah. Um, and he's been in French rugby for a bit because he was with Racing previously. And he was saying about how the French team now are, they're much more organised and they're much more, like it's a modern coaching team. So they've got like all the different specialist areas and they've got everything taken care of. And he was saying that the, the players from La Rochelle are desperate to get up there and go to the French camps. Whereas before they were a bit like, Oh, I don't really want to go. So, like that kind of message, and that's obviously very powerful if you've got people who are desperate um, to play and are excited about being involved in a in a better environment than they get at the club side. And and that culture and environment, it, it, it does stem obviously for a bit from the players, but the coaching staff are, are responsible for that. What what are your 
what are your own experiences of of Ibanez, Galtier, and, and Edwards? Did you come across them? Um, I the think I played I played against Galtier and um, Ibanez almost certainly, um, and then. So I just sort of saw them, just knowing that they were like very good players, and obviously like they were, they had those sort of um, fifteen-year careers at the top level, ten-year international careers. So they were like sort of seminal internationals. Um, so I think like that you obviously acquired an incredible amount of experience, and then Ibanez obviously came over to Wasps, and would have learned a lot from um, working with. I think he was there with Warren Gatland, Ian McGeeker, and Sean Edwards. We would have learned a lot about that as well, and blending that with the French um, side of the game. Typical the French traditions of rugby, and um, that sort of um, gives you like a pretty powerful mix, doesn't it? And Sean Edwards has obviously been like he's an incredibly successful coach. It seems like wherever he goes, that's the team that wins. Um, so yeah, so I think they've got a real nice mix of it, um, nice mix in the coaching team, um, and and they and they're a bit like England as well. They just got an incredible like depth of talent and an incredible amount of players um, that. Yeah, just it's it's frightening what France France are capable of if they get everything, if they professionalise everything and get like a cohesive strategy and structure. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. I think obviously having Bernard Laporte there as well, who was previously the national coach and now he's like I'm not sure his exact role, but he's like on the executive committee and he's involved in in the running of French rugby and making sure it works. But he's obviously got they've got an awful lot of experience and knowledge there um, to tap into and make the right decisions around French rugby. Um, and they're placed in, in the world game. So, yeah, they're looking pretty um, uh, intimidating at the minute and pretty like they could become, could start like a bit of a dynasty for French rugby, I think, at the minute. I mean, perhaps the whole of the Northern Hemisphere rugby. I mean, it's exciting, exciting times. I, I'm going to put you on the spot though, Michael. Um, the two out of three last week, this time round, you've gone for England in the England-Italy game. Where, where is your money Head and um, I think I got. I, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. Was this the one I got wrong last week as well? Uh, you got the England. Did I? I went for England in the end, right? Um, yeah. You did say it would be close. Um, to be fair, I think I would go for. Uh, I can't. This is such a difficult. Thing. I'd have to go for. I never go against Wales, so I'd have to back Wales, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> and and oh, it's so difficult to call. I think I think you'd have to go to, for France just because. Um, actually, I'm not. I'm going to go for Ireland. I'm going to say Ireland will beat them. So there you are. Yeah. Okay, so we've got England, Wales, and Ireland. Yeah, but it's so difficult to call those two games. are so difficult um, to call. They are going to be yeah. absolutely Cheers, Andy. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, thank you, as ever, Michael. Fascinating insights. Um, enjoy the matches. Perfectly timed for a much-needed half-term. And uh, see you for the Can't wait. debrief next week. Cheers.